Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics in sports podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I am Corbett Heller. And we are Juicing the Numbers. Um, we, it's are, a, we are the Purple Cobras of Global Two. That's right, son. You're gonna we're gonna dodge wrenches because so that we can learn how to dodge balls. Um, welcome to the, huh? Rest in peace, Rip Torn. Ah, uh, R.I.P. R.I.P. in peace. Um, it is uh, it is uh, Sunday, uh, January twenty fourth. It is uh, about one o'clock here on the East Coast, so we're getting ready. For this week's slate of NFL championship games, we'll be doing a recap of them on Wednesday since we have not seen them play out yet. And um, maybe do a Super Bowl preview. Maybe we'll save that for the week afterwards um, during the Pro Bowl, which nobody cares about because you shouldn't. Um, So it's happening, isn't it? I don't know. (laughs) I just assumed. No idea. But I also don't care. So we'll leave that to the side. Nothing about it, and you're right. I my life has not been affected by that in any meaningful way. Oh fuck no! <laughs> Who gives a shit? Um. Anyway, Hall of Fame uh, voters apparently. Sorry, that's another uh, conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've talked about that before. It's stupid. Um. So this this week, yeah, we saw the passing of one of I think. America's favorite baseball players, in addition to one of my favorite baseball players, one of Corwin's favorite baseball players, a man who really transcends the world of baseball into sports and transcends the world of sports into life um, with his involvement in uh, civil rights leadership and um, his, his, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Activism. Jesus Christ. Yeah. we 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 lost um longtime Braves right fielder uh and outfielder Hank Aaron this past week. Um we've talked about Hank Aaron on the show several times because there's so much to say about just the baseball player Hank Aaron, leaving so much else off to the side. Hall of Famer, MVP winner. Won a World Series, two batting titles, three gold gloves, a 25-time All-Star in a 23-year-long career, um, which we've talked about before, about how there used to be two different All-Star games in one season for a few years there, which is how Hank Aaron has more All-Star games than seasons played. Um, He's the all-time leader in RBIs. He's the all-time leader in total bases. He retired with 755 home runs, which is second most in all time, and is the man that shattered Babe Ruth's home run record of 714. Um, He retired with 143.1 war, which is a fucking stupid number. And he was, by all accounts, one of the great men to play this sport. Um, He spent his entire career, professional career, sorry, MLB career, Um, With the Braves, first in uh, Milwaukee, the second city that the Braves were in after Boston, uh, and then finishing it out with the Braves in Atlanta. Um, Oh, he also had two seasons with the Brewers. I didn't know that. Or I must have known that, and I clearly chose to forget forget it. Um, He also spent one season, one season in the Negro Leagues, 
with the Indianapolis Clowns. Um, so he was at one point in time during his playing career, because it was so long, was the last active Negro leaguer in MLB, um, which says so much. You know, I, I there's a lot to say, and I, I want to give Corwin his his time here as, as well as I've been speaking for a while. But there is just so there really is just something to say about the fact that a man who played in the ne- in the Negro Leagues and MLB just passed away and how near that history really is. It's always one of those things that's just incredibly surprising to hear where you know the civil rights movement and everything that went on during the 50s and 16s, you know, Dr. King, Rosa Parks, everything like that it seems so far away and whether that be from you know really only ever being shown in black and white just being a generation or two before us where you know we don't have necessarily those first-hand experiences and can't get those you know primary sourced stories from you know our parents because even then it was a little too long ago for them. You know, my parents were born 1959, We should cut that because someone's going to steal all my credit card information. Um, but it it's always surprising to really notice how recent all of these struggles and fights were. Um, and losing a guy like Hank Aaron just today, where Hank Aaron, to me, looking back, having not been raised as a baseball fan, like only, you know, all things considered, a recent addition to my repertoire of sports, it seems like he played generations ago. He played, you know, an impossibly long time ago. And it's it's really not. It's in the grand scheme of sports, in the grand scheme of our country it's wildly recent and that is definitely something that you know people probably should realize and and go out of their way to make note of more just how impactful all of that was and how recent it is to the struggles we're still dealing with today with it and i get that that's you know a lot more more political than it is baseball related but hank aaron cannot be talked about as just a baseball player because that's a disservice to who he is as a person and absolutely and what he represented and and to speak to your comment um about you know how or or i guess a running running a through line of of our, our last two combined comments hank aaron and the past which he represented throughout his life and how near it is. Hank Aaron himself was all alive for 35% of all us history from 1776 to today. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that's how young this nation is in its present iteration. Obviously we can tie ourselves back to 1619 and there's been a lot of great work, um, done to preserve that era of history as well. But in, in and how we conceive of the modern United States of America, Eight, 86 years of his life represents 35% of all United States history. 
So the 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 changes in time that Hank Aaron was either a witness to or directly a part of is immense. And I mean, like, this is a guy that cared so much about being an example that mm. the last story I saw about Hank Aaron prior to his passing was two weeks ago when he publicly received the COVID vaccine and wanted to make a little bit of a thing about it to show other African-American people that it was safe and something that they could trust. An example, in to his dying fucking day, an example wanting to be a beacon for other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just fucking beautiful. And that's such a case in point as to why he was such a beloved figure for so long. And the the type of example he wanted to be for other people. I. Oh. You know, he's the prime pristine example of why we both get so upset when guys like fucking Skip Bayless or Colin Cowherd are preaching to these athletes saying, hey, Stick to your lane, stick to sports, stick to baseball. Don't, you know, LeBron James, don't be coming out and making all this commentary when it's it's not your place. Don't don't be doing this, don't be doing that. And it's just it I know it drives you crazy. It drives me up a wall. Just that people are well, at the end of the day, I think it's just racist. Uh, at the very core of just not wanting black voices to be role models, to be, you know, inspirations to others. And Hank Aaron, you know, God, I couldn't even tell you the decades he played in, but knowing roughly the era when it happened, he must have been one of the first major black voices in, voices in sports, you know. Yeah, one of the and this isn't this isn't Hank Aaron related, but one of the, one of the things that I've, I've I think about all the time, um, when when the Giants moved from New York to San Francisco, their their best player, one of the greatest baseball players of all time, the say hey kid Willie Mays, and Willie Mays, you know, moved with the team, and he was trying to find a home in San Francisco, and he couldn't buy a home in San Francisco. They wouldn't let him. buy a home in san francisco that's that that's why this shit matters yeah and it's it's truly crazy to think how recently this whole movement happened you know the the climax of the civil rights movement thinking it it's only oh god what is it now like 70 years ago when this you know dr king and and everything that happened there you know really hit its or started to approach the climax 
and you think about how far we've come since then and still how far is left to go because of how much this is still something we have to talk about to some degree what feels like nearly every episode absolutely um oh, so i you know i want to keep going with uh with, with some hank some uh, hank aaron's life I, I one of the things that we do every time we we bring up uh, uh a past hall of famer is i i read their um uh, from from their Hall of Fame induction, their uh, their plaque as well as their um, memorial page on the on the site. So I'm just gonna go through that really quick. So Hank Aaron was uh, voted in in his first ballot Hall of Famer, 1982. Um, he had I wanted to get this right. I think he had received the most or second most uh, first ballot um, votes of all time. I just want to see. I think it was. I think it was right behind. So uh, Aaron received ninety-seven point eight percent of the vote from baseball writers. Second at the time, only to Ty Cobb. That's it. So, it, thankfully, Hank Aaron, not a man who had to wait to receive his recognition, like others we've talked about on the show, uh, especially Negro leaguers who are only really somewhat now getting some of the recognition that they that they deserve but clearly i mean to to now we have you know mariano rivera who got in with 100 percent. we've had a, a bunch of uh or not a bunch but several 99 percenters um get in in recent years but you know to be the second most vote getter all time at the time of his induction is obviously a colossal accomplishment to, to especially in the 80s when thinking about what the average age of the white baseball writers were then um, to get that much recognition, he's clearly a unifying force. Um, so Henry Louis Aaron, Hank Aaron, was inducted to the Hall of Fame in 1982, primarily played for the Milwaukee Braves. And uh, here is his, uh, his uh, little biography here. Boxing legend Muhammad Ali once called Hank Aaron the only man I idolized more than myself. For many years, Aaron was everything an athlete and a human being should be. Aaron grew up in humble surroundings in Mobile, Alabama. He passed through the sand lots with brief stops in the Negro Leagues and the minor leagues before he settled in with the Braves, where he ultimately became one of baseball's most iconic figures. He was a consistent producer both at the plate and in the field, reaching the 300 mark in batting 14 times. 30 home runs 15 times, 90 RBI 16 times, and captured three gold gloves en route to 25 All-Star Game selections. 1957 was arguably Aaron's best season. He hit 322 that year with 44 home runs and 132 RBI, captured the National League MVP award, and led the Braves to their first World Series championship since 1914. Despite his constant production, it wasn't until 1973 that Aaron was, the, was thrust into the national spotlight as he neared the finish of a successful assault on one of the sport's most cherished records, Babe Ruth's mark of 714 home runs. It was on April 8, 1974, that Hammer and Hank sent a 1-0 pitch from Dodger hurler Al Downing into the left-field bullpen at Atlanta Fulton Count Stadium giving Aaron 715 career home runs. He would finish his career with 755. 
Aaron remains baseball's all-time RBI leader with 2,297 and total bases with 6,856. If each of his 755 home runs were, were removed from his statistical record, Aaron would still have 3,016 hits. It was shortly after Aaron's record-breaking home run that Georgia Congressman Andrew Young declared, quote, through his long career, Hank Aaron has been a model of humility, dignity, and quiet competence. He did not seek the adoration that is accorded to other national athletic heroes, yet now he has earned it. Aaron was selected to the Hall of Fame in 1982. He passed away January 22nd, 2021. On his home run, on his um, Hall of Fame plaque, it says, um, hit 755 home runs in 23-year career to become Major's all-time homer king, had 20 or more for 20 consecutive years, at least 30 in 15 seasons, and 40 or better eight times. Also set record for games played, at-bats, long hits, I don't know what that means, total bases, runs batted in, placed NL in batting twice, and homers, runs batted in, and slugging percent four times each, won MVP in NL in 1957. Um, and that is from the Baseball Hall of Fame uh, website about Hank Aaron. Uh, obviously, it, it's it's a little bit more baseball on-field um, centric because it is the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, one of the so you know, one of the defining moments, I guess, of, of Hank Aaron's career that I think coincides a lot with the role race plays in baseball and um, therefore the role Hank Aaron played in, in a little bit of society is that that 715th home run. Have, have you watched the clip, Corwin? I have not. Oh, well, I highly implore you I to should. do so. Yeah, I really should. Um, Cause it, it, you can feel it, especially because he, they were playing the Dodgers that day. So Vince Scully called the, the, the home run. Really? Yeah. I mean, they were playing the Dodgers. <laughs> Uh, and it's just crazy to think that like even Vince Scully of all people was there. So the, the color barrier gets broken in baseball by, um, Jackie Robinson in what, like 1947. So 17 years later, you know, Hank Aaron is now in a position to break one of baseball's quote unquote unbreakable records. And Obviously, there's some sentimentality around the record because it's a you know great historic figure in the sport of Babe Ruth, you know one of those legends, and because it's so before we have you know really great pictures and really great videos, there's a little bit of mystique around it. Whereas nowadays, in in Hank Aaron's time, these games are on TV in color, um, mm-hmm. and. One of the, you know, actually, I have a quote about this because uh, uh, I want to I want to quote Hank Aaron on what this particularly meant to him. The 715th home run. Um, so in the 90s, on the 20th anniversary or as it was approaching of this home run, the 715th home run, which, again, great video. Hank Aaron hits it. Stadium goes fucking bananas. Um, fans hop over the walls to get into the field and start 
following Hank Aaron around the bases. Um, it's a it's an amazing moment. Holy shit! Um, yeah, it's an amazing moment. Um, and Hank Aaron recollected it as such. This is a quote from Mr. Aaron. It really made me see for the first time a clear picture of what this country is about, he said. My kids had to live like they were in prison because of kidnap threats, and I had to live like a pig in a slaughter camp. I had to duck. I had to go out the back door of the ballparks. I had to have police escort with me at all times. I was getting threatening letters every single day. All of these things have put a bad taste in my mouth and it won't go away. They carved a piece of my heart. End quote. Wow. The Braves had to hire a secretary just to handle the death threats. Just to handle the hate mail. It's now looked back on as a crowning achievement of the 70s era of baseball, of the black era of baseball, or or the integration era of baseball, I should say, um, of black ball players, of former Negro League players. It, it it and it is. It is a momentous event for all of those good historical milestones. But it it is so much worse than that in a lot of ways in what Hank Aaron had to endure as a result of it. And there's so much to be said when it comes to the idea that here's a guy who just wanted to play a fucking game and that offended people. And I see Hank Aaron as a hero for doing what he did and for being who he was and handling everything with the composure in which he handled it. And it is, it's like, it's like we talk about this when we talk about the Negro leagues all the time about how wonderful a story the Negro leagues are and how awful it was that it had to be a story because it came out of direct hate and nothing but hate. Because otherwise, if there wasn't all that hate and racism, there wouldn't have been a Negro Leagues in the first place. Mm -hmm. And it's so impactful for a black man to have broken Babe Ruth's record. But the reason that it's so impactful is because it was still a terrible time for black people in the U.S., which it still is now for a myriad of different reasons. But, I mean... This is the impact that sports has on society and why it meant so much that Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in 1947 and why it means so much that Hank Aaron was the guy that broke Babe Ruth's home run record. This wasn't Hank Aaron breaking, um, I don't know, who, uh, like, let's, let's, say, um, let's say Mickey Mantle broke Babe Ruth's home run record and then Hank Aaron broke that. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have been the same because, because a different guy already broke the original one. And while he'd still be taking it from a white guy, it wouldn't quite be the same. It meant something because Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's home run record. And it was such a significant record when he broke it, and it had stood as such a significant record for so long after. 
Like yeah. records, you know, he broke Babe Ruth must have broken a dozen must be, you know, some crazy number down the line of guys who had held the home run crown in MLB. But the record he broke had stood for so long and his record had stood for so long, that's what makes it impactful. Not just that it was broken like you were just to add to what you were saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're and you're hundred percent right. Um Especially because, you know, the the 60 home runs in a season, which Roger Maris broke, um, that was the first one to kind of tumble. And you can, you, you know, at the time, you could write that off as being a fluke. You know, how often are you going to be able to do that? This one, I mean, this was looked I'm at. Sure I did not move the mic while I was drinking, so I'm very sorry. <laughs> I didn't hear it, so you're good. Um, but th- this was looked at like how we look at today. Um, fucking god damn it with the names. Uh, the fucking pitcher. Um, um, uh, Nolan Ryan, Jesus Christ, okay. like Nolan Ryan's strikeout record, which is 900 more strikeouts than the next guy on the list. Um, uh, and you look at that and you go, that's never going to get broken. That's kind of how this record was viewed for uh, uh, until Hank fucking Aaron came along. Um, it it, it it was an untouchable. You know, and the no, go ahead. No, finish your thoughts. I'll I'll keep, hold mine. And I I think part of you know that idea of it being untouchable was that it was a huge crowning achievement, and it was a huge crowning achievement. The seven hundred fourteen from Babe Ruth during the early days of baseball, pre-integration, done by a white guy. And the idea that that little piece of history could get could get nudged off by a black man created such a furor around the situation that Hank Aaron's entire worldview got rattled and questioned in a deep, deep way over baseball. And that's why it's important he did it. Because that means that those people can't hang on to that anymore. Right. It means that those people who use that as some type of racist guiding light can't use that anymore. Because now it's gone and fuck you. But it's also ridiculous that it has to mean that much because it's a sport. But that, as we talk about every time uh, race comes up with sports, that is part of the impact of sports. I'm glad it was a guy with the character and integrity of Hank Aaron to do it. You know, there's there's plenty of spectacular, you know, black athletes that have broken records and, and have done great things. And plenty of them have been spectacular people. More than enough have been not the role models you would hope for. You know, i I don't want to just throw names out there because that's not our place during this discussion, but for a guy like Hank Aaron to break those records and for him to be the one to do this, that means so much more as well. Being able to have him be a guy you can look up to as 
the pinnacle of sports at that moment, that's a huge deal. You know, that is that is everything. Um, and whenever a great player dies, regardless of, you know, the sport or, you know, to a lesser extent, the pedigree, we always talk up their skill level. We always talk up their achievements and things that they did because at the end of the day, you know, we want to celebrate careers and, and it's a morning. So you highlight the best of everything they did. And to another extent, it almost always gets exaggerated to some degree, you know, like, Oh, this, he passed and and he did so many great things and he was one of the best and, and this and that regardless, Hank Aaron isn't a part of that. Because no matter how much we talk up all the great things he's done and all of the monumentous achievements that he accomplished throughout his career, it's still not overblowing the impact and the weight of the things that he did because of how just wildly skilled and God's. How long was his career? 25 years? 27 23 years? years? 23 years. Like, being that good for that long, going to 25 All-Star games in a 23-year career, like, you can't blow those achievements out of the, like, out of proportion. It's just, it's too, it's too much. Like, he was just, it's, you know, we talk about Mike Trout being the GOAT and, you know, to an extent we joke about it and we know we joke about it and it's, it's fun to talk about, but, you know, Hank Aaron is one of the handful of people, the small handful of people that you could genuinely have at the peak, you know, the, the Mount Everest, the Mount Rushmore of baseball, and no one is going to argue that he deserves to be there. You know, it's Babe Ruth, it's Willie Mantle, it's Willie Mantle. Oh my God! Never mind. <laughs> that one's too bad to uh to overcome. <laughs> Willie Mantle. I meant to say Willie Mays. I was and Mickey Mantle. Yeah, I know. I, 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 I know what happened. It's not hard to see how it happened. It's just fucking hilarious to see that it did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. You know, it, it, it's a really, in in some ways, it's it's a similar conversation to what we talked about when Bob Gibson died, which was another just tragic, tragic loss. Oh, anyway, um, we're, we we you know we talked about what it meant to have the mound forced to be lowered mm-hmm. because you know pitching as a whole was was. Very, very dominant at that time. But Bob Gibson basically forced it, you know, and how it's important to recognize that a black man did that, you know, that has so much and it has weight when we talk about it in football. And we talked about Willie O'Ree the other day, very briefly in hockey and it all matters. But there's this weird thing with baseball that it got tied to this idea of it being a white man sport um, where, you know, 
they 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 were foot down on the segregation of it until uh 47 and and even after that it was a col- I mean again here we're talking about this 17 years, we're almost a we're almost two decades out from integration and we've seen Jackie Robinson we've seen Willie Mays we've seen Larry Doby we've seen a bunch of really good ball players Willie Mays had 156 war in his lifetime. Like, we've seen a bunch of really good players come through already, black players, and be great at the sport. And here we are still almost two decades later. And there's still people going like, yeah, but he can't beat the white guy. Come on. No, don't let him beat. Stop. Hey, stop trying to be better than the white guy. Oh, and that. It, it's amazing that it didn't kill him. It's it, it is genuinely astonishing that the level of vitriol and the paranoia I'm sure he must have been feeling about his family's health and safety, about his own health and safety, about having to have a police escort for fucking baseball. I'm surprised it didn't fucking kill him because that level of of sheer stress I think would drive a weaker man to drink in excess. I mean, that level of composure and belief in what he was doing and just wanting to play the game of baseball is ridiculous. It's ridiculous in the best way. No, I completely agree. Uh. I've, you know, I, I've I've been seeing a lot. On 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 the Twitter, um, because you know what he didn't. Matt isn't what he was probably feeling if I had to, to get I'm sure he was angry that people were racist that that's a, that's a given mm-hmm. but you you know it's not his fucking job to change that I don't want to hear about his anger I want to hear about his sadness I'm sure it fucking killed him yeah, yeah. the fear that he had for his family mm-hmm. and the fact that he was uh, was was so wanting to make a change in in the you know in the, in the latter part of his life after after he retired from from baseball he was he was involved in the Negro League Baseball Museum to help tell the story of of other ball players who didn't receive as much um, adulation as he had received um, he he was a recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom um, you know he 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 ran a couple charities I believe. Uh, in, in, in to try to help bring uh baseball and baseball related equipment to i think i think it was alabama or around his hometown um you know he he did a lot of 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 work within the black community within within um impoverished areas in the south and that 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 guy isn't just shoving anger down there's there's more complex emotions and complex history than just being mad that people are racist. 
People are anti-Semitic. I don't, I don't, I don't walk around being mad about that shit all day. Unless I have to confront it the way that he had to confront it all the time. And then guess what? My emotion ain't necessarily going to be anger. Got death threats. You don't get mad about that. You'll probably get pretty afraid about that. He was a black man in the South. I'm sure he was afraid. The fact that he did it anyway, in light of the threats, not about, not in light of the anger he might have been feeling, but in light of the death threats that white people waging against him for being a black man playing baseball is what's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. I I honestly wish I had more to say about. Oh man, about Hank Aaron and specifically, and I don't know. I just feel like yes, yep, yes. Yeah. Um, I uh. There's just so much to be proud of when it comes to Hank Aaron. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that, you know, it's why it's why it's been it hit me really hard when I when I learned of his passing. Um, because he. He was the guy, he was the easiest fucking guy to root. For. He was a guy, he was one of those guys that like, and I think I mentioned on the podcast before he passed, he was a guy I was just happy to know was still alive. And like doing his thing. You know, he, he, he served in the Braves front office after he retired and like was on the board of the double NCP, double NAACP. And like, you know, he did all of these things that good people do. In addition to being one of the greatest athletes of all time. He was a guy that clearly just fucking cared. Yeah. And that's that's not something you get a lot of in sports. No. And, you know, nowadays, those guys are still celebrated and, and you know, held on a pedestal. Like, you know, guys like LeBron come, come to mind. You know, I think that's a really great comparison for a modern-day athlete where he's absolutely up there, you know, at this point while, you know, at the tail end of his career, but still an active player where... He's absolutely in, you know, in conversation as the greatest basketball player of all time. Sure, there's plenty of heated arguments to be had, just as I'm sure there was with Hank Aaron. But he's absolutely in consideration, and there are stats you can use and things you can look at to support that. And, you know, no one can say, no, you're wrong for thinking that. And at the same time, guys like LeBron James go out and do everything within their power to grow the sport of basketball like Hank Aaron did with baseball and more importantly support black athletes and black youth and black communities and trying to build on them and just make the world a better place in the ways that they can using the platform that they have access to and the platform they've built through their athletics. And I think that's a really apt comparison between Hank Aaron in the 1960s and 70s to LeBron James in the 2020s. 
Yeah, I think I think that's a I think that's a very good point. If only you know Hank Aaron was six foot nine, two hundred and seventy pounds. You know, I said he was a uh, I think six foot flat and one eighty. Like me, only eight inches shorter. Also, just like what a that's the other thing. You, you know, there's a uh, three guys in baseball history that have hit seven hundred home runs or three dudes. Babe Ruth. Four. Uh, I know A-Rod has 696. Um, okay, then it was A-Rod. That was the fourth that I was thinking of. Yeah, he's he's he was like right there. Um, let me just double check myself. Yep, that's it. Those are the three guys. Um, Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, and um, Barry Bonds. And you think about the the build <laughs> of those three dudes. And Babe Ruth... And Barry Bonds are huge, you know, um, for varying reasons. But they they were they were huge, especially for their respective times. You know, Babe Ruth. I don't know. Maybe he would look smaller today. I doubt it. But he was a big dude, especially in the 1920s. And Barry Bonds was a fucking monster. And then you look at Hank Aaron, and he's just like a guy. I mean, dude. six foot one eighty. We all know that guy. He's That's just a like guy. U.S. average. Probably not U.S. average, but you know what we're, we're talking about. Yeah. Like, you know, it's easy to find that guy. We know who that guy is. Everyone knows that guy. We all have that guy in our friend group. Yeah. Yeah, that guy's at work. That guy's at the coffee shop. Everyone knows that guy. I mean, ba- Babe Ruth and Barry Bonds. Those are big fucking dudes. You might not know that guy, but I Hank don't. Aaron, six foot one eighty. You know that guy. Oh, <laughs> actually, I really want real quick. I want to just see what is Barry Bonds and Babe Ruth's official height and weight. Um, all right, Babe Ruth, six two fifteen. All right, so again, that was probably a lot bigger at the time when your average U.S. man was uh, smaller and lighter. Um, that 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 nowadays you you'll find that pretty easy. Uh, Barry Bonds six one six one one eighty five. Get the fuck out of here. Absolutely not. Maybe at the beginning. Maybe during his uh, his Pittsburgh days. No fucking way during his uh, San Francisco days. No fucking way. Yeah. So I don't buy that at all. Which actually that might be Babe Ruth's beginning weight too. He probably got a lot heavier as time went on. Anyway. Not the, not the point. Um, yep. Uh, anything else to say about about Hank Aaron for you? Oh man, no. I I kind of uh, said what I had to say. Uh, if um if if you're listening to this and you want to do something, um. I, I, I recommend making uh, a donation to the Negro League Baseball Museum um, in the name of Hank Aaron. They also have uh, a Hank Aaron Indianapolis Clowns bobblehead that you can buy from them um, to help support them as well as get something cool for yourself. Um, but uh, either or would be great. Um, check out the Negro League Baseball Museum's website. You can find a bunch of information there. Um, Bob Kendrick, who runs the Negro League Baseball Museum, was a friend of Hank Aaron's. 
Um, so I know for a fact that if you were to reach out now and do something, it would be uh, especially meaningful at this time, um, given what they're going through over there. So if you feel so inclined, check them out. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's there there's, there's been there's been other things going on in the world of sports. You know the Yankees trade for um, uh, James and Tyone just happened now while we've been recording. Um, you know there's been uh, a a little bit. Oh, that more. trade went through. Yeah, that trade just went through. Um, I can tell you who the pirate or the yeah who the pirates got back if you want. I can I can just confidently say before I even hear what the return is. Uh, one, it's it's probably not enough. Jamison Tyone is a, a fantastic pitcher. Um, you know, one of my favorite Pittsburgh players uh, while I was a fan, just because of uh, everything he he brought and everything he kind of overcame with um, with his cancer and 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 being able to come back from that. And I will say. Uh, he will be missed in Pittsburgh because, above all else, I think he's the last star player that Pittsburgh. Sorry, the Pittsburgh Pirates have that is not on a a rookie deal. So, boy, that team is going to be fucking unwatchable this year. And I get what they're trying to do. You know, rebuild the farm system you know, ground up, basically scorched earth type rebuild. At the same time, there needs to be some kind of like interjection from MLB. Just they need to step in at some point and say, this is not acceptable for one of the 30 MLB teams to come out and just not put out a, a competitive team. Um, I, I will disagree. I think, uh, so firstly, um, we'll talk about this more in depth later. Um, but the return is, uh, the Yankees are sending to Pittsburgh, Miguel Yahure, uh, Rowansi Contreras, Michael Escado, and, uh, Kanan Smith. And I'll dig into those players to find out more about them before we talk about this more in depth. But, um, Jameson Tyone, two time. Um, Tommy John surgery candidate who has not pitched since 2019 and has one year left on his contract. One, uh, he has he's on a one year deal and he has one RB year remaining, so he's got like two years of control left. So getting four prospects back for a guy that hasn't pitched in a year and a half, um, and has two years left on his deal isn't the worst return. I have to find out who these players are to truly judge that um and at the same time the fact that we don't know a single one of the prospects doesn't you know i do get that four players for one player is you know like oh like the value does add up yes this is the lowest value jameson tyone's had since you know he entered mlb at the same time when he does pitch he is very much good enough to be like a number two pitcher probably a number three pitcher for a team like the Yankees. And I, I don't know. I think it's just more of it's the Pirates doing it and 
trading away the only semblance of of startable pitching that they have on their team uh, for four players that might play in MLB in four years is God. It's just it's tiring, and I am glad I no longer have to consider myself a fan. I uh, yeah, you know, we'll we'll talk about it more later. It's it's. It, it is you're because you're right. I mean, if these four dudes are all scrubs, then it does it. it it's not doesn't seem so worthwhile for the pirates. But we're not going to know that until I actually learn more who, about who these guys. Prospects are not my strong when it comes to baseball conversation. So we'll see. Um. So anyway, there there's there's been that. There's been some more talk. There's been a lot more spicy Trevor Bauer talk that I also want to get into at some point. We'll maybe save that for uh, the Thursday episode. Um. There's also a big hockey trade. Um, Patrick Laine and uh, Pierre Luc Dubois both got traded for each other, which is wild. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Do it's, you have any? Do you have any initial reaction to that? Yeah, I mean, Pierre Luc Dubois has been asking for a trade this, you know, the entirety of this season so far. It's it's not a surprise that he got traded. Um, him getting traded along with Raslovic, or sorry, Line getting traded along with Raslovic um, for Pierre-Luc Dubois and a third-round pick is quite the trade. Um, I would say for a team like Columbus, who did not have much leverage with Dubois because of his demands to be traded because of the clear lack of of any effort on the ice uh leading up to the trade um being able to get a guy like line a and a guy like roslovic thrown in uh as a sweetener is tremendous i i definitely think columbus won this deal um by a, a, a decent margin uh dubois does have a little more team control I forget the exact uh, terms on the, the contracts. I think Line is a free agent after next year, after this year. Um, I think but next all, year. All things considered, you know, uh, it's a blockbuster trade by all means. Uh, I do think Columbus comes out ahead uh, by a decent margin. I think, yeah, I don't think, honestly, I don't think it's I would close. say Line is a, a, you know, head-to-head a better player granted at a, a less premier position. Um, so getting essentially Roslovic for a third round pick on top of that is tremendous value. Yeah, I I think the real story here is that Winnipeg managed to do absolutely nothing with the guy who won um, the... Uh, who's a, who's a, who's a first-team all-rookie his first year. Um, was a was a sixth uh, or was a uh, second place uh, Calder Trophy um, finisher? I mean, I like forget that he got drafted right after Matthews. <laughs> yeah, like Patrick Line is a ridiculously good player, um, yeah. and the fact that Winnipeg, I know, yeah, I like the, the fact that Winnipeg just did absolutely nothing with him, and then are cutting and running. <laughs> Oh man, it's crazy. Uh, and the mm-hmm. fact that Pierre Luc Dubois wanted to get out of the podunk town of Columbus and then got traded to the only Canadian hockey town without an airport is pretty wild. Um, 
as small town as Columbus is, Winnipeg, even smaller. Um, so fuck you, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, <laughs> yeah, I... Man, I I think Columbus comes out so incredibly far ahead, I have to wonder what is even in it for Winnipeg. Um, other than, I guess, taking the smaller future contract that Pierre-Luc Dubois will be getting instead of Patrick Laine, who would certainly be commanding more on the open market, but I have no idea. Um, it is confusing. I think it's one of those things where both of these teams did not have a lot of leverage and, and knew that they had to trade one of their guys. And I think they're just kind of hoping that Dubois comes in and is showing that motivation. Line A comes into Columbus and is showing that motivation. I don't know. At the end of the day, it's 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 weird that for two guys that we both knew were going to get traded this year, it's weird that they ended up getting traded for each other because of just the uh, again the question marks that it leads to you know motivation for both these teams and and the return. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's the fact that they got traded for each other. Because you're right, they were both going to get traded, but they have disproportionate levels of value. Um, so I guess it makes sense for each team to get each one traded and get back, to some extent, a comparable player. Um, it just happens that Patrick Line is significantly better. But again, they both had to get traded. It's weird that they didn't go to different teams. I guess that's what I'm getting right. at here, really. Right. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So uh, you know, I've been watching a ton of hockey lately. Uh, I'm I'm going all in this it's year. Great. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's great. It's so nice to have it back. And it's uh, I watched great. The, the Pens steal a game against the Rangers this week. That was a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I'm 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 enjoying Rangers hockey this year, even though it is wildly inconsistent. And I think we'll probably end up moving on from Dan Quinn um, in the next year or so because he is not progressing with the team as a coach. But um, I am still enjoying the ups and downs of Rangers hockey as they show their flashes and start getting better. Um, I am also very much so enjoying the fact that Corn and I have been talking about this for years, that the NHL is in this restructure having uh, teams play, well, exclusively in division, but that means more head-to-head games against teams you would think of as being your rivals. So the Rangers played the Penguins on Friday and the Rangers play the Penguins today. And that's mm -hmm. fun. That's what you want. I want to see the Yankees play the Red Sox 19 times a year. I want to see the Rangers and the Pens play each other eight times a year. That sounds like a fucking blast. Like mm -hmm. uh, two to four times sucks. Eight times is great. Sign me up every day. Um, I think six times would be a nice sweet spot. Yeah, if they wanted to have you play like another division in there, I could, I, I see the middle ground. Um, but yeah, I, I, I too am having a wonderful time watching hockey, although it very, 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 very much so hurt that uh, Henrik Lundqvist was not in goal on opening night. Yeah, um, uh, it hurts so I, much. I can feel your, or I can, I want to. I guess what I'm trying to say is. I know it's going to happen with Sid sooner rather than later. And I I am going to not be okay when that happens. That's going to hurt. And it's I know brutal. 
you know, that's probably about as close as we can get for, you know, the two teams that, or, you know, all the teams that we comparatively root for in each of these sports. I think Sid and, and Henrik is about as, as close as we get to comparatively impactful players for the franchises. And how long tendered they've been. Yeah. Right. Like Sid, you know, by all means, I will confidently say is a better hockey player than Henrik Lundqvist is. But at the same time, what Sid means to Pittsburgh is very much on par with what Henrik meant to New York. Hmm. I'm not sure I agree that Sid is a clear-cut better player than Lundqvist is. Uh, I think Sid can be a clear, is a clear top five player in the history of hockey. I don't think you can come close to that with Henrik. Um, you know, I think it's it's Gretzky, Lemieux. You know, you've got guys like Gordie Howe, Bobby Orr, maybe Yarmir Yager up there, but Sid is absolutely in that conversation of a top five guy. I wouldn't put him that high. Let's see, the NHL 100 came out like last year. Let's so Sidney Crosby doesn't NHL. doesn't rank top twenty five in NHL points. It's not even in the top twenty five. Okay, he's also uh, like thirty two. Hen- Henrik Lundqvist is sixth all time in NHL goalie wins. I think we're talking about pretty two different two pretty different players here. I don't know. I think we should put this, uh, I think we should put a poll out there. 100 greatest hockey players in order listed. Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Sidney Crosby, Gordie Howe, Maurice Richard, uh, Yager, or Ovechkin, Messier, Eiserman, Bobby Are they putting goalies on this list? Because they should have said Brodeur already. Um... Terry Sawchuk is on there. Patrick Waugh. I don't see Pollock. I don't see Brodeur. I don't see... They didn't put Brodeur on the list? That doesn't even make any sense. Here, let's see. Let's. This is a different list. Um, let's go. Gretzky at one. Lemieux at two. Bobby Orr at three. Gordie Howe, four. Messier five, Yager six, Richard seven, Hasek eight, Crosby nine, Phil Esposito ten, Mike Bossy eleven, Nicholas Lindstrom twelve, Steve Eiserman thirteen, Martin Brodeur fourteen, Patrick Waugh fifteen, Dion, Marcel Dion, Ray Bork, Joe Sakic, Doug Harvey, Paul Coffey, and that's the top twenty. Let's see. I'm just going to basically scroll through and look for the other goalies on here in comparison. Ovechkin, 21. Uh, Guy Lafer 22. Ken Dryden. Bobby Hull, Chartier, Brent Hall. Um, Terry Sawchuk is 32. 
Forsberg. All right, Corwin. Now we're just listening to you read a list. I know, but okay. Okay. Don't you dare start. How many times have we heard you just read through a list on this podcast? Once or twice. 45. We've absolutely gone through and read through many, many lists of players. Um, wow. All right. We're into the 50s, and I don't know if I've seen Brodeur, and I definitely have not seen Lundquist, and now I'm just getting concerned. I mean, and don't get me wrong. If we, if we want to make an argument that, um, you know, Patrick Raw, Patrick Waugh was the better goalie, even though he had 140 fewer wins than Brodeur because wins are a team stat and, you know, yada, yada, yada. That That's certainly an argument to be made. Um, you know, I think there's plenty to, to debate with that. But, I mean, to not put the all-time goalie win leader by a very significant amount um, anywhere near your top 20 is wildly weird. I, ha- I have to imagine I just passed him and, and missed the name. Why don't you just I, control I, F? Because uh, I'm on my phone. Your phone browser should have a search find in page button. I don't think it does. Mine does, you fucking poor. Uh, oh, find in page. Holy shit. Uh, it's also multiple pages, but Mart- or Henrik Lundqvist is 74th. Where's Brodeur? Uh, I'm going to have to probably go back up to the top. Um, let's see. I really wish this was a single page, but because of how the internet works, they won't do that. I really wish we could go back in time and just redo how the internet is foundationally built. Without data caps. Without data caps, without advertising revenue. That would have been really freaking awesome. Martin Brodeur was 14. Oh, okay. One ahead of Patrick Waugh. That makes more sense. Patrick Roy. Patrick Roy. Yeah. Uh, All right. Anyway, there's also football talk going on with, um, you know, the prospect of Deshaun Watson still getting traded. Now there's multiple reports about where he really wants to go between... um, New York and Miami are the two spots I've been seeing the most, but it really doesn't matter quite yet. Um, so we'll probably, maybe Wednesday, we'll have a f- broader discussion on trades with the, uh, a, a large discussion on what's going on with the, or what happened with the Jameson Tyone trade, uh, what's likely to happen with Trevor Boward's free agency, as well as the possibility of a Deshaun Watson trade to either New York or Miami. Um, and then there's also been reporting out of Detroit that Matthew Stafford and the Lions have mutually agreed to part ways, and the Lions are now going to start looking for a trade partner to move Matthew Stafford. Um, and it's just insanity to think about. Yeah, for a lot of latitude of reasons. Um, we'll cover some ground on that because it's going to make this quarterback market complicated. Um, but you know, we'll get into that too. Um, want to make sure that we mention the fact that those things are happening and that we're choosing to save them for a later date than rather just ignore them. So Wednesday, we'll have a pretty busy show between all of those topics just mentioned, as well as the uh, NFL championship games that are happening today. So make sure you check in for that shit on Wednesday. It'll be a packed episode. Again, um, uh, keep Henry Aaron and his family in your thoughts. Uh, if you feel so inclined, 
Check out the Negro League Baseball Museum. We're also coming up on Black History Month, where if you listen to the show over the course of the past few years, we've spent a good amount of time each Black History Month talking about Negro Leagues and black players in baseball. Um, so that's coming up too. So this is a great time for you to go head over to the Negro League Baseball Museum's website, um, dig up on some information, remind yourself of some of the great stars and teams of the past, buy yourself some cool fucking merch. I have a ton of stuff from the Negro League Baseball Museum. It is all high quality shit and looks so fucking cool. And it's a great way for you to immerse yourself in one of the greatest lesser told stories in American history. Uh, and baseball history. So, again, check out the Negro League Baseball Museum. I cannot speak highly enough of them. Um, anything else, Corbin, before we wrap it up? Uh, not currently. All right. Uh, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at JuicingPod. If you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. And until next one, y'all have a good one. Two fifty. Bye.